Welcome to Annasbrook Church. We hope this message from our Nelson City location pastor, Shannon Johnson, empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annasbrook.co.nz for a service near you. How's everyone doing this morning? Doing well? Excellent. So glad you came here this morning that you chose to vote with your accelerator foot to get yourself inside of this room. Uh, I believe you made an exceptional choice. And I know that your life is busy. I know that you've got a lot on your plate at the moment. But I love that you are the kind of person that believes in the importance of getting yourself in environments of encounter. Because who knows when you're feeling the pressure of life. God wants to reveal the presence of heaven. So welcome. So good to have you here. If you come every week, we love having you every week. If it's your first time, if you're a guest with us this morning, I just want to extend uh, just a really heartfelt welcome to you all and say it's wonderful to have you here. We love having guests in the room and we hope that you just feel relaxed, sit back. Uh, There's no expectation on you at all. Just chill. If there's anything you need, let us know. We're here to host you. And uh, my hope is that every single one of us this morning would have a wonderful morning. Sound good? All right. Who's enjoying our theme at the moment? Revival. Yeah. Who's been enjoying? Give me another wave if you're enjoying the mini-series, Tales of Revival. Excellent. Well, what I'm looking for this morning is I'm looking for permission from you all to believe this morning that it wouldn't just be a good talk, but this morning that would be a word of faith where it's not just me doing all the work, but actually every single one of us would be engaging our faith, believing that revival wouldn't just be something that we're talking about in terms of an academic concept, but actually revival would be something that we're believing for to break out in the hearts of... In the hearts of our heart. Hey, you know what I'm talking about? Do you want to come along with me on that ride this morning? Yeah? Yeah? Anyone in the room got some faith this morning to believe that God's wanting to speak to you? All right, let's go. Tales of revival. All right. I'll tell you where I want to go, just so you've got a heads up before we go there. I really want to uh, share some thoughts this morning that would spark something inside of us that really believes that we can hear from heaven, that today we would get a word from God that energizes us and fuels us as we head into the next season of our life. And uh, there's something powerful about having a word from God, because it means no matter what comes your way, when you find yourself in the storms, you've got an anchor point. When you find yourself in the season of confusion, you've got a compass bearing. And so I really hope that today as I share these thoughts, there'd be something about it. Every single one of us would leave really believing we can hear from heaven and receive a fresh word in regards to what it is that God is wanting to lead us to uh, in the future, whether that be as an individual or whether it be us as a church family. And, you know, I, I was saying this morning, you can't really, you know, create a methodology in terms of how God always works. But you can position yourself so that when God moves, you're in the flow. And so I reckon there's three things we can do. They are tune into the Spirit, dive into the Scripture, 
and catch the slipstream of the saints. And so that's where we're going. That's where we're getting to at the end. But I just wanted to give you a heads up so you know. Uh, I've got a picture on the screen here. It's a picture of me flying an aeroplane. And uh, it's been a while since I told some aeroplane stories. Uh, So I thought today was a good day to uh, share some. Nelson Airport, there was a GoPro on the wing stuck on with a suction cup. I had this thought, I wonder if it will stick. It did. Uh, Here we are. If you did not know, uh, I am the proud holder of a private pilot's license. Uh, Most people know, because I like to tell most people. Uh, It's been a while since I've flown, but I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm the kind of person that when I hear a plane, I stick my head out the window or I go out the ranch slider to see if I've guessed by the engine noise what kind of plane it is flying over my house. I'm the kind of person that when I hop onto a flight out of Air New Zealand from Nelson, I sit down and I start imagining what I'm going to do if the air hostess bursts out of the cockpit saying, the pilots have fallen unconscious. Who can fly a plane? I'm not joking with you. I like, that's where my headspace is on when I'm sitting on a plane. And the reason is when I was doing my flight training, uh, one third of it really was what do you do when everything goes to custard? The first third was like learning the basic controls, take off, land, fly in the sky, keep it straight. The second half was emergency procedures, and then the third half was navigation. And so there's part of me like, I'm weird, I know, but if it looks like I'm not thinking about anything, I'm probably thinking about landing a plane when the engine fails. I'm not kidding. I I caught myself this week, I'm biking to work. It's a beautiful day. I can hear the birds singing. And I'm like, I imagine the plane engine cuts out. And I go straight into the drill. I'm like, what do you do? I'm like, all right, nose forward, trim for the ultimate glide ratio, carburetor heat in case some icing has happened in the carburetor. What's that mnemonic? That's right, F-M-I-P. All right, fuel. Check the tanks. Do we have fuel? We do. Okay, nothing caught in one of the fuel lines. M, mixture. Is it too rich? Is it too lean? No, ignition. Check both power supplies. Is one of the magnetos dead? No, it's not starting. All right, power. Throttle in. Nothing. All right, we're going down. Here we go. Mayday, mayday, mayday. Mochawaka traffic. November Papa Tango descending through 2,000 feet. They've suffered a engine failure. Cruising along the coast north of Adele Island. We'll be landing in the water as close to the coast as possible. Please send help. God, please send help. (laughs) Um, There's another game I like to play on long trips that Danielle doesn't, and that's called, let's see if we can look at all of the letters on the number plates and say the letters in a phonetic alphabet as fast as they're coming at us. And uh, if we can't keep up with the flow of traffic, you're out. I love that game. Not Danielle's cup of tea. (laughs) Um, The reason I uh, tell you that story is to say that it was real interesting when I was going through my uh, pilot's training is as I did that, I started to become real interested about 
uh, aviation as a whole, including, I guess, aviation history. And I started to read a lot of stories and accounts of people who had done some incredible things uh, in the past and, like, I guess, contributing to the whole field of aviation. Because who knows, when you hop on a plane and fly anywhere in the world, we take it for granted, but it's something that's only come about literally like in the last century. Like, we are the only humans in all human history that have known what it is to make metal birds and fly those metal dragons across the ocean into other nations. And so there were some people that, like, as I uh, kind of heard their stories, there was something about their story that resonated in me. And all of a sudden, I started to kind of see my experience, not just as a solo experience, but I could see my story inside the context of a greater story. And it was actually an understanding where me learning to fly fit in the whole history of aviation. It added a whole new depth of meaning and wonder to this as I realized I was doing something that only a few years ago had been the most pioneering reality where people put their lives on the line as they tried to fly like the birds soaring through the air. And as my imagination was allowed to get into that space, I didn't just think of myself learning to fly. I kind of saw myself as being part of the heritage of the great aviators. Here's some of the people I love. Um, Here's this guy. He lived in the mid to late 18th century. He was a German fellow called Otto Lilienthal. And his thing was he built himself a massive mountain of dirt and like literally built it. And before uh, aeroplanes existed with engines, he built gliders and would literally launch himself off this mountain with his gliders, with no steering mechanism except swinging his legs out the back to control him. If he hadn't done that, we wouldn't be flying in planes today. Uh, I think to uh, the Wilbur and Orville Wright, next uh, picture, uh, this here was the first heavier-than-air-powered plane that was successful. It was created by Wilbur and Orville Wright. And here we have a photo from the very first flight. This was on the 17th of December, 1903. It was powered by a 25-horsepower engine. And the largest of the four successful flights that they flew that day lasted for 59 seconds. What's interesting is while they were doing this, there was another guy living in Christchurch called, I think his name was Richard William Pierce. Here's a picture of him. (laughs) This is a Kiwi. Um, Some people have said that nine months prior to the Wright brothers flying for the first time, this guy actually did. He was building aircraft. He never made that claim himself, but what is interesting is this guy here flying. uh, The airplanes that we fly today actually reflect his model of the aircraft rather than the Wright brothers. A little bit of New Zealand aviation history. And I know you're thinking, Shannon, tell us more about Jesus and less about aeroplanes. But here's the thing. This is the point that I want to make. I'm introducing you to these old school aviators because there's something profound about understanding where your story fits in the context of a greater story. In the same way that hearing these and reading of these guys' stories actually sparked my imagination while I was flying through the air myself, you've got to understand that the same principle is true. 
for understanding where we fit in the greater context of God's story. I brought a Bible this morning. I have to be honest with you, this Bible never gets read. It's literally just a prop um, because I always read my Bible on my phone. But I brought it this morning because I wanted to remind you that even though this book has been finished in the sense that we're not adding more stories to it, I wanted to remind you that the story hasn't finished. This morning, I wanted to remind you and encourage you that as we go into this theme of revival and tales of revival, we don't exist after the back cover of this book, but actually we exist today. This gathering, us as a people, is very, very much a part of the story that is contained within the pages of this book. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard sort of about the field of like biblical theology, but biblical theology is the field that looks and seeks to understand the Bible as a collection of individual and often diverse kind of like writings collected together, but it seeks to understand them as one unified and collective whole telling one single story that goes from cover to cover. It's a beautiful story. Uh, I like the way that N.T. Wright, a uh, British scholar, frames it. He breaks in the entire scripture into five chapters. Chapter one, we see creation in Genesis chapter one. God creates the world and it is good. But we know what happens when we move into chapter three of Genesis. There's the fall. From Genesis chapter three to chapter 11, we see Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, the fall of the individual. In chapter four, we see that Cain goes on to murder Abel. We see the fall of the family unit. And then from chapter five to 11, from the story of Noah to the Tower of Babel, we see the fall of society. From Adam and Eve to the family unit to society falling as we move God outside of the center of society. But then we jump into chapter three of this story. It is a story of redemption, of restoration, of reconciliation, of revival. God comes and reveals himself to a man, Abraham. And through one man, he chooses this man to birth a family that would go on to become a nation, a nation that God would reside in as an example to all nations of what it is supposed to look like and the blessing and life that flows when society and humanity choose to live with God at the very center of who they are. That's chapter three, the chapter of Israel. We move on to chapter four, Jesus the Son of God. We call it the incarnation where God literally put skin in the game. God came to earth in flesh. Jesus, fully God, fully man. And He came to fulfill every promise He had ever made to humanity so that through His life, His death, the resurrection, and now the ascension, every single human would know what it is to be able to live connected to God. And then we move on to chapter five when Jesus ascended up to sit at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf even to this day. We move into the, uh, the, the chapter of, uh, I guess, the New Testament church and the people of God. That's us. That's us today. We are the New Testament church. We are the people of God. There's a story that spans from page to page to page, from cover to cover. And I want to remind you that today, our story does not exist outside of this story. But as we seek 
God, we have to understand that the story has not been finished. Whenever we read anything in Scripture, we have to understand that the context of that something is that story. It fits inside of that story. And the reason I point that out is that when you understand where your story fits in the context of God's story for humanity, there's a confidence that can come on your life. I'll tell you what, having confidence is one thing, but having godly confidence is like rocket fuel. And I wanted to remind you today that your story is part of this grand story. Because I wanted to remind you today that you have been created by God, not to be distant and disconnected from God, but you have been created by God to carry the very Spirit of God. You have been created by God to carry His presence, not just in part, but in full, not just sometimes, but wherever you go. Do you believe that? The reason I can say that with such confidence is because in chapter one, we read these words. Genesis chapter two, sorry, verse seven says, and then the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed life into his nostrils and the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Man, every time, I don't know about you, but every time I'm aware of my breathing and I take a big deep breath, I'm just like, wow. It's just like a natural reality of the spiritual reality that I get to breathe on this planet because God breathes His life into my very being. That's at the start, but when we move through into the fifth chapter, chapter five, the New Testament church and the people of God, we see some more scriptures here. Um, can we bring the first one up there, Nathan? What do we got? First Corinthians 3 verses 16. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? Let's bring up the next one. First Peter 2 verse 5, it says, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You were created to carry the presence of God. You were created for the very spirit that created the universe and breathed life into humanity to reverberate around the very being of your existence. Is there another verse there? No. Okay, excellent. There's more. I got more in my notes, but I'm like, if we just go through them linearly, linearly we will only go through them. But uh, it's tricky because you've got to understand something. Like, let's step, let's step behind the fourth wall for a second. This morning, I'm trying to move you. I'm trying to encourage you. I want, I want us to know what it is as a church family to be able to get our eyes from the stuff that wearies us down and is just a weight and a burden in our life. And I want us to know what it is to actually be able to look up and know that in God, we've got this knowing that when we look back to the cross and the victory that was won in that moment, we don't walk to victory, but we walk from victory. You never have to wonder where God is because God desires to be known. That's why He's revealed Himself, right? So that today 
We might know what it is to be the vessels that carry the presence and the power of the living God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you a story this morning, a tale of revival. And uh, I'm quite excited about telling you guys a story because, man, when I heard it, uh, you, know, you know when you hear something and it just like inspires you? You know, something inside of you begins to hum. I heard this story a couple of weeks ago. Someone told me that they'd been hanging out with somebody who had told them the story. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I called this person who had heard the story from the person. I'm like, you've got to tell me the story firsthand. I heard it in part. I need to hear it in full. And as I was listening there, I was just like, wow. It is such an inspiring, incredible and encouraging word of God moving not in the distant past, but sometime quite recently. I'm like, man, I've got to tell the people this story that it would encourage and lift them. And this story, you won't find it in history books. I only heard it because I heard about someone hearing about it. And then I called the person, I'm like, tell me the story. But there's this man, Avish. He's actually part of our movement of churches, CCNZ. He's uh, the pastor of a church up in Wanganui. Yeah. And... Uh, He's from India. And he was telling me the story about a camp that he'd been asked to go and speak at back in 2013, 2014. So he was at this camp and he'd prepared and he decided that this day, uh, the way they were gonna structure it was they would have all in sessions in the morning, kind of like this. And then in the afternoon, that have like breakout discipleship groups. And so the afternoon rolls around and this Avish, he's in this group with five other young men and they're talking about what it was that brought them to this moment that they came to this camp. And this one young man, 23 years of age, he says, I'm here because I wanna learn English better so that I can understand the Bible more so that I can go back and support the pastor in my village because Christianity has just broken out. And so Avish said, tell me about that. What's happening in your village? And this is the story that the boy told about the pastor that had come to his village. You see, there was this man. He was a mass teacher. He was married and he had a young daughter. And he believed that God spoke something to the very core of his being, calling him to leave his occupation calling him to leave his city and go to the small, remote village. He believed that God had spoken to him so much that he actually did the very thing that he believed God had said. He stopped working as a math teacher and he moved from this like city, this metropolis, to this tiny little village where people still lived in bush huts. There was only about 1,200 to 1,500 people that lived in the small, remote Indian village. And this man, he believed so much that he had heard from God that he came in with a great enthusiasm and he started walking around this village. He started telling people throughout the week about the gospel and about the living word, the living God who had come to restore all things back to the way they were always supposed to be. The first Sunday rocks around and he's so excited because he's like, first church service, here we go. And he opens his door and there along with his wife and his tiny little daughter, they wait for some people to come and join their service. 
Guess how many people come? Zero. So what do they do? They worship God. Next week, they do the same. He goes around telling everyone about the gospel, about the living word that is Jesus. They open their doors up to their home. Guess how many people come? Zero. Next week, zero. Day after day, week after week, year after year. Do you know how many people came to his church services? He does this for over a decade. Over a decade. If you feel like you've heard from word, a word from God, but you're feeling disillusioned because of the time gap of when you heard it to when it's gonna be fulfilled, I need to encourage you, man, it's coming. If God has spoken, it will come. But sometimes we've got to know that actually it doesn't happen the next day, right? Sometimes there's a decade in the waiting. For over a decade, man, this guy got so disillusioned because it hadn't been easy for him. Just like life's not easy for you. I understand. It hadn't been, he had to leave. They spoke a different language. They didn't have running water. They didn't have power like he was used to. The dress sense was different. The culture was different. The food was different. He'd uprooted his family and taken them to this place to the point where a couple of times over the decade, he got so disillusioned that he went back to his original home place. But when he got there, he just like was like, he didn't have a peace. He's like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. So they find themselves back in this remote village in India, sharing the gospel for over a decade, sowing seeds into the kingdom of life, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, waiting just for some small sprout. Nothing. One night, this massive storm rages through this village. The rain just pours down with such an intense fury as the wind just like blows furiously. In the morning, the sun rises and the elders of the village, the men of authority and of mana, the men who have been voted to like look after the village, they're like freaking out. They're walking around just after the sun has risen looking at their village. Like every house is damaged. Everyone's home is just like showing the wear and tear of the storm that has just ravaged and pillaged their home. And they get to the pastor's house and they stand outside his fence and they look because they can see in the uh, garden there's these clay pots. They'd get the mud and the straw and they'd make these pots and they'd leave them out in the sun to dry before putting them in the kiln to harden. And they see that there's no signs of life in the house yet, but there's these pots just sitting up in the middle. And then they look around, they realize, oh, the pastor's house doesn't look damaged at all. And they're curious. And they go in and they knock on his door. (laughs) This pastor and his family get up and they go to the door. When they open it, they're freaking out. (laughs) Because why would all of the elders be at their door? It must be something serious. He asks, is everything all right? And they say, what do you mean is everything all right? Of course it's not. He looks out and he sees the waters of the flood just pouring down the road next to his house. And they said, did you bring these clay plots out this morning? He's like, no, they've been out all night. And then they start to tell him about the rain. And he says, we didn't hear any rain 
last night. We didn't know there had been a storm. Not a single piece of damage had happened to this pastor's property. These clay pots where entire houses had been damaged, these small clay pots sat there with no water inside them. It was as if the storm had passed completely around and completely over this pastor's house. They said, how could this be possible, the elders? And one of the elders spoke up and said, well, you have to know, I think this guy, when he's talking about God, he's like, I know we're stubborn Hindu people, but when we talk about this God, I actually think that this man worships the one living God. And he started to recount a story of when his wife had been sick. And uh, they didn't know if she was going to make it. And the pastor had come and prayed for his wife, and she was healed. And this elder said, this guy, he worships the one living God. And in that moment, all of the elders decided, man, we need to follow Jesus, for he is the one true living God. And because of the authority and the influence they carried in the village, just like that, an entire village found the life and the hope and the love in Jesus Christ. And this boy sitting in Avisha's small group at this conference, well, he was one of the sons of one of those elders. What an incredible story. Wow. What if a story like that was our story? Can you believe for something like that to be part of your story? Because if you believe your story is part of this story, then you've got to believe that that's what our future looks like. So how do you hear? How do you receive a word from God that sets you on a path where you're able to bring the life and the hope of the kingdom into our world like this man? A couple of things. I'd say like clearly like disclaimers straight up. Receiving a word from God does not mean your life will always be easy. But it does mean you'll always have an anchor point and a compass bearing. When I talk about hearing a word from God, I'm not talking about hearing an audible voice, but I'm talking about that over time, in a moment or over a series of moments, the Spirit of God speaks to the very core of your being and reveals something of himself and his heart for the people around you so that as you go out from your life, you learn to live and operate from that place where you believe God has revealed himself to you. And like I said, I don't really think... Um, I don't really think when we're talking about how do we hear a word from God that we can reduce it to a real easy formula. Like we can't contain God in our human methodology, but we can do things that position us well. Like I said, I think it's so important we know what it is to tune into the Spirit, to dive into the Scripture and to slipstream with the saints. To tune into the Spirit to dive into Scripture and slipstream with the saints. I wonder if this morning 
we're going to do is the band are going to sing. I'm going to sing the song, Fresh Wind. And I just wonder if there's some people in the room this morning who are like, Shannon, God, I want a word from heaven. I want a word for my life where I know that no matter what comes my way, I've heard something so clear in regards to where it is you're leading me. That even though the oceans may like be chaotic and there's storms around us, you know that you've got that anchor for your soul that is Jesus. That you have that compass point that is like, I know why I'm here, to be part of God's story. I really feel like there's some people here this morning And you're not just looking for a talk. You're not just looking for a Sunday morning spiritual event. You're really trying to locate not just the written Word, but the living Word. You know, whenever we open the passages of this book, we're not opening it to discover what is written in the natural text. We're opening it to read because we want to discover how the living Word, the creator and sustainer of all things has revealed Himself and called us to a purpose so high, so royal. I wonder if you'd do me a favour this morning and stand to your feet and we're gonna sing this song, Fresh Wind. And uh, this morning, as we sing this, if you're like Shannon, something about what has been shared this morning has resonated with me. If you're here and you're like, God, man, use me. God, I wanna know you more. God, I wanna know they're moving into the future. You're with me every step of the way. Then this morning, we'd love to pray. We'd love to come alongside you and believe that in this moment, You don't just hear my words, (laughs) but you hear the whisper of heaven speaking to the core of your being. So we're going to sing. And if you're here this morning, come up the front. Don't be shy. We've got people here that want to pray with you. Dave and Michelle, Brent, Viv, myself, Pam, Paul, the ministry team. We're going to pray during this song. We're going to believe that just like that man in India, heard. And when he moved, it wasn't really about him moving, but it was about God getting ready to move through an entire village. That through us hearing a fresh word from God in this season, we too could see our nation, Aotearoa, turn away from its rapid and rampant, like we don't want God to be any part of our society, reverting back to what it looks like to receive the blessing and the life when God is at the center of all things. So let's sing the song, Fresh Wind. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us. Email us at info or visit our website.